It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am live with PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the man who has been grinding the data all day long, the one and only Nathan Yonke. Nate, hope you enjoyed week one. Oh, yeah, week one was fun. Like, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, when do bye weeks start to hit? Once I got to my, like, 12th recap of the day or so. Because that always makes Sundays a little bit easier when there's not as many games to do. But I got all 14 recaps done. They're up on the website. I'm ready to talk about them. Whether or not I remember anything I wrote about from like 10 games ago, we'll find out. But I wrote about them at one point today. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of week one. And, and really every Sunday, right? We get to kind of just absorb all this data. And we'll see how much of we of it we actually retain as we try to go through this. But we have all our notes. And we have all our data that you've pulled here from the article. So we're going to go game by game. Um, if you're watching uh, on the YouTube, you can submit comments and or questions. Um, and we'll see if we can get to them as we go. We'll look to cover pretty much everything we can from week one here. So I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, of course, we have to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. Fall is all about the back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule you can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required join the thousands of parents who trust fabric to protect their family apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com fantasy that's meetfabric.com fantasy m-e-e-t fabric.com fantasy policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states price subject to underwriting and health questions all right nate Let's start with the Arizona Cardinals and the Washington Commanders. We'll we'll try to get this one out of the way pretty early. Wasn't maybe the most exciting game um, of the evening of the day. I guess we're in the evening now. The Washington Commanders kind of hold on to beat Arizona twenty to sixteen, closer than I thought it would be. But we'll start with the Cardinals here. Josh Dobbs was at quarterback, but what else did you see um, from the Arizona offense that was worth noting in this game? 
Uh, the big thing for me was at tight end, Zach Ertz played in this game and not only played, but was a clear receiving tight end. Um, the fact that he was able to play when a couple weeks ago, we weren't even sure if he was going to be able to start the season, uh, potentially start on one of the injured lists, but he was able to uh, see significant playing time, ran 32 routes out of a possible 35, uh, saw a ton of targets as well, like roughly twice as many targets as, or yeah, about twice as many targets as any other player on the Cardinals. It was just he wasn't able to convert all that many into catches or a lot of receiving yards. But the fact that he was able to see so many targets is a really positive sign. Uh, we've seen in the past him be a clear fantasy starter, was uh, top six or seven in fantasy points per game last year before he suffered his injury. So there were plenty of reasons to be concerned with the injury history, his age, the fact that Trey McBride's on the team, uh, new coaching staff. But despite all of those things, he was still the clear tight end. So uh, he's probably going to be one of my top tight end waiver wire, waiver wire targets this week, uh, just because we've seen what he can do and we've seen the playing time he can have. So if he can combine those two things together, then you have a fantasy starting tight end. Yeah, I think the 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 use or the at least the production was was kind of uh, misleading, right? Like he had he had six receptions for twenty one yards, but ten targets, so he had a thirty two point three percent target rate on a ninety one percent route route participation. So, I, I mean, I think that was that's the main key. That's really like tight end one usage. The only problem is Josh Dobbs couldn't do too much uh, with the offense. He was more of like a game manager. Um, I, you know, they got three field goals out of the offense and stuff like that. So it wasn't like a big game for the Arizona offense, even Marquise Brown, three receptions for 28 yards. And um, Rondell Moore also had three receptions, but pretty limited offense. Um, James Connor was, was the one that handled all of the, the running back carries, but we, we kind of expected this. So nothing too surprising pretty much from the Arizona offense, other than, like you said, Zach Gertz, right? Oh, yeah, it was good to see Connor see so many snaps just because it's a new coaching staff. We didn't really see Connor in the preseason, so good to see he dominated as much as we expected him to. I don't know how sustainable that will be, continuing to see 50-plus snaps a game, so Keontae Ingram's a fine uh, stash if you need uh, someone has a handcuff in deeper leagues, but outside of that, uh, the wide receivers were exactly what we expected based on the preseason. Wilson and Brown, outside receivers, more coming in for three wide receiver sets. Perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. So nothing too interesting there for Arizona. Um, how about the Washington Commanders? So Sam Howell, kind of an up and down game, not exactly how I envisioned his first game going. I've been high on Howell all off season. He had the touchdown drive early and then there was one late, but like a lot of mistakes in between there. I think he was sacked six times, something like that, um, including a fumble six that he had. Um, so not like high end uh, performance by Sam Howell, but what did you see from at least his offensive weapons? Uh, the big thing for me was the Washington running backs. We saw Brian Robinson take a clear majority of the offensive snaps over Antonio Gibson. Um, we've seen Robinson typically be the early down back, Gibson be the third down back, but we did see Robinson take some of those third down snaps in this game. He was playing more on third down than we have seen him do basically all of last season. I think it was on third and six plus snaps, he took three snaps in this game compared to one all of last season. So uh, we saw Robinson snaps on the rise late last season, and that just continued to happen in this game. Um, that resulted in Gibson only seeing three carries, uh, one target in this game. So it was 
the least we've seen Gibson used in this offense in a very long time. So the fact that he was used so little uh, is pretty significant if you were counting on Gibson this season. So at this point, I'd be a little bit more trustworthy of having Robinson in my lineup, a little less trustworthy of Gibson. Um, we'll also note Robinson caught a touchdown pass, which was also a decent big deal for him. It was a nice play out of him. So um, getting more receiving production out of Robinson where last year was basically all on the ground. Yeah, that that's what I was, I, what was most concerning for me is Antonio Gibson, right? Just the 40% route participation where Robinson was at 43%. And like you said, only the three carries for Antonio Gibson and just one target in the passing game. Not the ideal usage that we were hoping from him in that Eric B enemy offense right out of the backfield. So Brian Robinson pretty much took over uh, all of the, the, I mean, uh, notes that mattered at least from the from the backfield so higher on Robinson for sure I probably would not be starting Antonio Gibson next week at least until we see that usage kind of increase for him and, and and improve so um anything from the receivers uh that that stood out to you we know Terry McLaurin was dealing with the toe injury coming into the game but it didn't really seem to impact his snaps all that much he played Jahan Dotson also played well um and and got his snaps in there but anybody stand out for for you from uh, Washington uh, Logan Thomas at tight end was the big one. We saw Cole Turner get plenty of hype throughout this preseason, but uh, Thomas played more than he was playing a lot of the time last season. Uh, ran around on 32 of the 42 pass plays, saw seven targets. His seven targets were tied for the lead among the Washington players. So Thomas has been someone where a couple years ago he had that really huge season and just lots of injuries since that point. But Seeing him healthy for this game, seeing him get a lot of targets in an offense where Eric Bieniemy is used to having a veteran tight end lead the offense. So a little bit of that seems to have carried over to Washington. So while Logan Thomas certainly isn't the same caliber player as Travis Kelsey, but if Thomas continues to see this high amount of targets, then he's worth having on your fantasy roster. Yeah, 22.6% target rate for Logan Thomas. So you like to see that 76% route participation. So he was fourth on the team there behind Dotson, McLaurin, and, and Curtis Samuel, but obviously heavily involved. If he can stay healthy, those are the kind of numbers that we're kind of looking for from the tight end position. And if Sam Howell can get kind of on track here and get this offense going, then those could be some nice numbers for Logan Thomas to rely on as a potential streaming tight end as well, especially with all the tight end injuries that we're seeing. Um so speaking of tight end injuries, let's go to the Houston Texans and the Baltimore Ravens, the Ravens who were without Mark Andrews. Um, and well, Isaiah likely we thought was going to maybe get some ideal usage here uh, with with Mark Andrews out of the picture. But uh, what did we see from the the Ravens in this game? Uh, the big thing for Ravens, I'd rather start out with J.K. Dobbins, who sure. uh, suffered the Achilles injury, uh, just because that's probably one of the biggest pieces of news for the day. It's unfortunate with Dobbins' injury history the past couple years that it looks like he'll probably miss the rest of this season. So that's fairly significant for Baltimore. Um, we saw Justice Hill and Gus Edwards basically split the snaps at running back from that point on. A slight tendency of Hill playing more on passing downs, Edwards playing more on early downs. But uh, I think it'll be a situation where we see these running backs for Baltimore as the main two going forward. Um, just because they have this long history with the team, we already know uh, Melvin Gordon uh, is likely to sign to the active roster. Uh, he's been on the he is on the practice squad right now, but there were already reports that they plan on bringing him up. 
Um, because they already are planning on bringing him up, I don't think they are going to bring in anyone else. Uh, I think it's Keaton Mitchell, who's on injured reserve as well, the undrafted uh, rookie running back who's up for at least the next two games, but he could also factor in down the line. So I think both Hill and Edwards are probably worth waiver wire targets. I lean Hill a little bit just because he was seeing significant work on early downs, and he's also the clear third down back where we know Gus Edwards is not going to be a passing down back. So I think Hill will have a little bit of an edge even though I could see Edwards leading the team and carries going forward. Yeah, it was one they didn't like give us a, a ton of information on after J.K. Dobbins went down. They basically both each saw 12 offensive snaps each um, out of the, the next 24 snaps that they played. Uh, Justice Hill played 60% of the passing down snaps on those uh, on those remaining snaps. He wasn't target on it, targeted on any of them. And then there was 14 run plays and it was basically a split. 57% of carries for Gus Edwards, 43% for Hill. But I'm with you. I think Hill could potentially get in more work as the receiving down. Uh, running back which obviously helps in PPR leagues as well but yeah I the the Ravens look they still um they were supposed to be a more like pass heavy team right but we saw only a 53 percent pass rate out of them which was actually about one and a half percent lower than last year um but the difference was that they actually spent 44 percent of their snaps in 11 personnel which was up way more from last year which was like it was something like 12 percent, right so that's where we started to get a bit more of a different offense from uh from the ravens here and from uh todd munkin and company and that's where we got to see more zay flowers as well who really shined in this game 35.7 percent target rate so he ended up with 10 targets 78 yards 84 percent route participation 2.79 uh, yards per route run 6.0 yards after the catch per reception he added a couple carries in there as well H- how are you feeling about zay flowers after this first game uh feeling good i think you basically said it all it was great to see him get so many targets see so much playing time i think things will change a little bit once i have mark andrews back we'll probably get back to seeing a little bit more two tight end set since they didn't really use too much two tight end but we'll see that with andrews and likely on the field at the same time at times and andrews will take more targets than like we saw in this game, but still seeing 10 targets in your first NFL game, seeing two carries as well. That's definitely a great start for Flowers. Yeah, and just coming back to likely, I mean, he played 72% of the offensive snaps, 77% route participation, but just the one target. So definitely not the game that we thought he would get um, filling in for Mark Andrews. But we got to see Zay Flowers right away as a rookie wide receiver. So that was definitely nice. Let's go to the Houston Texans here. Uh, within this same game, we got to see C.J. Stroud, who had 54 dropbacks in this game. He went 28 for 44, 242 yards, but no no passing touchdowns for uh, C.J. Stroud. So for the Houston offense, uh, what was the, the main standouts for you? Uh, the big takeaway was Damian Pierce. We did not see the same usage that we saw throughout the preseason. We saw a ton of Pierce playing on third down throughout the preseason, playing third and long, basically every snap with the starters. But in this game, it was Mike Boone who took over as the third down back, played the majority of snaps on third downs, over half the snaps in the two-minute drill as well. So that uh, restricted Pierce to a similar role to what we saw last year, seeing the clear majority of snaps on early downs, clear majority of snaps in short-yarded situations. But we did see Devin Singletary get some usage there. Uh, maybe even a little bit more than we saw from Houston backup running backs last year. So if anything, this might have been a step in the opposite direction from what we wanted out of Pierce. 
Um, he still had decent numbers in the game, um, but it'll be a situation where if Houston's getting blown out of in-game, Pierce probably won't put up as many fantasy points as you would want. So he probably is more of a situational start rather than what appeared to be an every week starter. Yeah, that was definitely a bummer to see. I mean, yeah, like you said, he still ran like the 22 routes, but it's because they were so pass heavy. But Mike Boone taking the majority of the passing down snaps is definitely a blow to Pierce, right? Especially if they're going to be this pass heavy of a team like they were this this week. And they might have to be right if they're if they're going to have to if they're going to be able to stay in games, it's they're going to have to do it through the air. And and honestly, um, if Pierce is giving up a lot of those passing down snaps, then we're going to see. you know, that preseason hype kind of died down pretty quickly here like we did in this game. But for the wide receivers, um, I mean, Noah Brown led the team in routes run. So that was kind of interesting. But it was Nico Collins and Robert Woods that were heavily involved here. Any interest after this game in the Houston Texans wide receivers? Um, the only thing I'd note is that was good to see Tank Dell see so many snaps, even with the starters there since in the preseason a similar thing where they were sticking with their starters and not putting their backups in too much with the starters. So seeing take Dell play a lot was big. Um, Nico Collins with 11 targets is nice, but Tank Dell was taking some of those snaps away from Collins over the course of the game. So it might be a situation where Dell starts seeing more playing time as the season progresses. It might be at Nico Collins's expense more than anything with so a um, little concern there. And then just going to the tight ends quick, I know I was concerned about Schultz throughout the preseason. Seeing him play so many snaps in this game was a little bit more reassuring. Um, he didn't see too many targets, just four targets on his 49 routes and didn't convert. Uh, I think it was two of those into receptions. So um, not a huge stat line out of Schultz. So still concerned about him based on Houston's offense in general, but at least a little less concerned about the overall uh, playing time in this offense. Yeah, for sure. We were definitely concerned about Schultz, but it was nice to see that, yeah, 81% of offensive snaps, that definitely helps um, and let all Texans players in routes run as well. So um, it, he'll have better days for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's not saying much after two catches for four yards. So um, we can we can aim higher for Dalton Schultz at least going forward. Uh, let's go to the San Francisco 49ers uh, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, it was the Brandon Ayuk show today, but really a, a lot of positives here out of the 49ers offense. So what was the kind of first things that um, that stood out to you? Uh, 49ers probably was the least interesting team for me in this week, just because San Francisco basically made no changes whatsoever to the running backs, wide receivers, or tight ends this offseason. So this was just a lot of the same stuff that we saw last year, a lot of the same usage. San Francisco basically gave all of the plays to McCaffrey, Samuel, Ayuk, and Kittle. It was just which of those players had the good week this week. Uh, The one thing that I found to note was with McCaffrey uh, last year, once the 49ers had a decent-sized lead, they would start rotating the running backs a lot more. Uh, this week, they were just fine keeping McCaffrey in, even though they had a big lead. So Elijah Mitchell didn't see all that much playing time. Uh, they didn't go further down the depth chart than that. So it was just good to see McCaffrey continue to see playing time despite the lead. So McCaffrey, of course, uh, must week every must start every single week. But I think his ceiling's even higher knowing that San Francisco is willing to use them even when they're up two, three touchdowns. 
Yeah, for sure. There's that nothing nothing out of the ordinary there. Just good to see the San Francisco offense clicking and, and Brock Purdy playing well uh, also. But maybe more interesting, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I mean, the, the game script really didn't let them run the ball too often. But at least let's start with the backfield and see um, kind of how this split was handled here between Najee Harris and, and Jalen Warren. Uh, yeah, there were reports before the game that they might see uh, even split on early downs, and that's exactly what happened. They both uh, played 16 snaps on early downs, ignoring the two-minute drill. So this was a much more significant split on early downs than we were used to. Um, every other situation was much more similar to last year. Here's the short yards back. Uh, Jalen Warren, the third down back. I expect those two things to continue throughout the season. Uh, the one interesting note is Najee Harris played in the two-minute drill, which is something that happened last year. But most teams, you see the same running back that plays on third downs also play in the two-minute drill. So the Steelers were an exception to this last year. They continue to be an exception to that this year. Um, the one good play out of the backfield was Harris uh, having a 20-yard run during the two-minute drill. So it was pretty ironic that Harris's one good play in the run game was during a more passing situation. but. I think going forward, uh, they did see pretty much the same number of touches in this game as well, which we could see going forward. Just ideally, Pittsburgh's offense plays better in general, which leads to both running backs getting more touches. But I think this early down split being uh, close to 50-50 is something that we should expect going forward. Yeah, for sure. And and, and look, seeing Her- our Warren get the, the majority of the targets as well, six to two, I think he, he got, he out-targeted um, Najee yep. Harris in this game, right? So just another positive for, for Warren that kind of eats into J- uh, Najee Harris's uh, workload a little bit here, but still nice to see Najee being effective um, with his touches, even though there weren't that many of them in this game. So The other big thing out of Pittsburgh was that Deontay Johnson uh, got ruled out in the third quarter with a hamstring injury. So what did we see from the Steelers receiving core after Deontay Johnson went down? Like who who replaced him in the offense after that? Uh, It was completely Calvin Austin, the third, which was a little it wasn't surprising that Austin was seeing more playing time. What was surprising is I would have expected Allen Robinson to go from the slot to the outside since Robinson has significant experience playing both outside and in the slot throughout his career, where Austin, uh, we expected him to be more of a slot receiver, but Austin played on the outside throughout the second half once uh, Deontay Johnson went down. So hopefully Johnson's injury isn't too serious and we see him back soon, but if not, I expect Austin to see significant playing time in Pittsburgh's offense going forward. Yeah, and it was nice to see Allen Robinson was fairly involved too, right? 88% route participation, 15.2% target rate. Not like high numbers, um, at least for targets, but he, he was involved in the offense there, at least slightly more than than even George Pickens, even though Pickens ran a, f- a couple more routes. But Pickens, just the 14.6% target rate, um, goes five for 36 on, on those seven targets. So um, there will be better days for this this pittsburgh offense but man that san francisco defense is is legit so hard to blame them here for for not being able to keep that kind of preseason momentum that they had going um anything else from this one i think pat fryermuth also also suffered an injury uh i think it was a chest injury so don't think he came back into the game right uh he he did come back into the game but then because they were getting blown out they stopped using him later in the game so I would assume not using him even later in the game was more just a precaution of we're getting blown out by risk 
further injury for him, but I believe he did come back. So um, that's why he didn't see nearly as many snaps or routes or targets as you would expect, but hopefully he should be fine going forward. And he was seeing a significant percentage of the offensive snaps prior to the injury. So it was good to see him see a high percentage before the injury occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he scored that touchdown as well, which was nice. So um, still better days ahead for for Pat Fryermuth as well. And good to see that he's potentially going to be back um, hopefully next week, just judging by them getting him in the game after the injury. So anything else from this one or should we move to the Panthers um, and Falcons? Let's move on to the next one. All right, let's go to the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. So Atlanta actually gets a nice win here, 24 to 10 um, against the Panthers. Bryce Young, not the best start for him, but maybe we should start with Atlanta at least because there's some interesting pieces here. Um, what was uh, some of the first things that started with that stood out to you for the Falcons? Uh, the big thing is they relied almost entirely on their running backs, uh, Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier. Um, part of me being okay drafting Robinson so high is knowing that that are capable of using both of their backs significantly. Both of them had over 15 touches in the game. Both of them scored a touchdown. Uh, they were used more or less interchangeably with Robinson seeing a slightly higher role in passing situations, Algier a little bit more in rushing situations. Uh, the one thing that I would note is um, Robinson was playing a lot more early in the game, Algier a little bit more later in the game. And it was late in the game that Algier scored his touchdown. So I'm not sure that Algier is necessarily the goal line back, despite him seeing all of the work at the goal line, plus Robinson uh, sharing a snap with him at one point. I think it was just this is when the running backs were seeing their snaps, and that's when they happened to have snaps at the goal line. So I would expect both running backs to definitely see touchdowns going forward. I just wouldn't expect Algier to continue to uh, see the clear majority of touchdowns rushing going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it was definitely um, a bit of an eye-opener with with Tyler Algier getting 100% of the goal-to-go carries. But again, small sample size, like you said. And then this game was uh, was was pretty much over by the time um, late in that game. So the other pieces of the Falcons' offense, uh, Drake London was out there. Uh, despite the, the stat line, he put up zero points for fantasy managers, 91% route participation, just the one target in this game. Kyle Pitts was the other one um, that fantasy managers might be disappointed with. So Nate, concern at all for the Falcons pass catchers? I think so, yeah. Just since they relied so heavily on the running backs and the Falcons schedule is one of the easiest schedules this season. So they could very well be in this game script and a lot of games this season where they can just give the ball to the running backs over and over and it's working. So why do anything differently? And Cordero Patterson didn't even play in this game due to injury and he's going to factor in at some point as well. So if they feel like they're tired of giving the ball to Robinson and Algier all the time, they can give it to Patterson at times too. So that's concerning Kyle Pitts as well with the three targets in this game. He ended up leading the team in receiving yards, but he didn't have his first catch until something like 44 minutes into the game. So it's fairly concerning. It was at least good to see Pitts running a route on 20 of the 22 pass plays for Atlanta, but just they were rotating him out even in 11 personnel a lot of the times. It was just a constant rotation of tight ends, a somewhat of a rotation at wide receivers, not as much. So London, it was at least on the field for the vast majority of plays, but 
if they're not passing the ball very often and if they don't need to pass the ball very often, then it doesn't matter too much. So fairly concerned about these two players, particularly on the game script. I think at least you can probably trust them if Atlanta is expected to lose a game. But if they are clear favorites in a game, then I'd be a bit more cautious with them. Yeah, this was this was a bummer for sure. As somebody that that really likes Drake London for this year, just one target was a huge disappointment. Kyle Pitts, like you said, three targets, but going two for 44. He did have a 26-yard uh, reception wiped away by a penalty. Um, I did notice that, but I mean, that doesn't get us any fantasy points. It's just another potential target that, that was there, um, but it's still not the kind of usage we're looking for, especially 61% of the offensive snaps is uh, far from ideal for Kyle Pitts, who still one of the uh, was a top five tight end drafted for the most part um, this season. Uh, okay. Let's go to the Carolina Panthers. Then, um, Bryce young, like I said, not the best game for him. 20 of 38 passing just 146 yards. I was looking at the first run passing grade for him. It it isn't great. It's, it's probably actually really bad. Um, he might be one of the lower graded quarterbacks for this week. He threw two interceptions as well. Um, but for his offense, what was the, anybody stand out at least for, for fantasy purposes that you're interested in after this game? Uh, and what's interested, interesting to see the Carolina backfield, just because we hadn't seen Miles Sanders in this offense to this point. Um, he did see the majority of the early down work, saw the goal line work, even the two-minute drill. But uh, Chuba Hubbard saw the majority of third down, saw a lot of the short-yarded situations. So this was a bit more of a two-man backfield than I expected. Uh, Sanders still saw the majority of the carries, majority of the touches. And we could see Sanders see even more snaps going forward, but just seeing Hubbard see 100% of those third down snaps outside of short-carded situations is a little concerning that we might not see Sanders much on third downs this season where uh, all of the talk was that he's capable of being a three-down back. He's going to do different things in Carolina, but it'll just be something to watch going forward because this could also just be the injury situation. So I thought it was interesting. I'm probably still starting Miles Sanders most of the time going forward, but uh, just lowers the ceiling a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And yeah, 60%, 67% of the running back carries for Sanders, not ideal, but you know, it, it, there's he's still leading that backfield there, still probably going to be the one to trust far and away each week um, until they show us otherwise. But it is concerning, at least, that Chupa Hubbard is eating into that total. Um, how about the rest of the Panthers' pass catchers? We know Adam Thielen did end up playing in this game, although DJ Chark did not. So what did we see from Carolina's uh, other receiving weapons? Oh, we saw Marshall and Mingo both see a lot of targets. I think it's interesting that Marshall led the wide receivers in targets since he's expected to be the backup when everyone's healthy. So probably a little bit concerned that we'll see a little more rotation of wide receivers once everyone's healthy, where in this game, uh, all three starters saw at least 67 of the 77 snaps. Uh, Probably more interesting to me is uh, at tight end with Hayden Hurst. Uh, He saw seven targets, which is good. And we're at a time where basically the seven tight ends that I told you to draft are all either injured or underperforming. So all of these other tight ends are like, okay, maybe this is starting to look a little bit better. But Hurst was off the field for a significant number of plays as well, despite having those seven targets. So he's someone where, despite the targets being there, I'm probably not going to be prioritizing him too much off the waiver wire. But 
just weird to see him be at 100% of snaps sometimes with the starters in the preseason, and then all of a sudden he's just barely over 50% in this game. Yeah, that was that, that was misleading pr- um, production as well, right? Because I, I looked at the stat line and, and thought for sure this is a great sign for Hayden Hurst. Then you dive into the snaps and yeah, 53% of snaps, 64% route participation. Not ideal, um, but we'll take the five receptions for 41 yards and a touchdown, especially when all the other tight ends in the league are injured. Um, but let's go to, man, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. This game... Uh, Joe Burrow gets absolutely nothing in this game. And I wrote up Burrow as like an avoid this week in the O-line D-line matchup article um, for this reason. But I I didn't expect it to be this bad, to be honest. This Browns defense is legit. Um, So looking at this game, any concern at all for the Bengals offense after seeing them struggle so much against the Browns? Um, honestly, I spend so much time looking at the usage that I have not had time to process how good anyone actually has done outside of the running backs and wide receivers and tight ends who had particularly good or bad games. So as a unit, I, I would certainly think that the Bengals are able to rebound, uh, in terms of the usage of the Bengals players, the wide receivers did exactly what you would expect them to do, uh, at running back. I noted Joe Mixon. Um, basically had the exact same role that he saw last season. It was Travion Williams and Chris Evans who basically combined took the role that we saw from Samaze P. Ryan last season. So um, Mixon's still definitely a starter every single week, seeing that high percentage of early down snaps, assuming the offense is able to rebound in the next week or two. Um, is a good thing for Mixon. It just his ceiling isn't any higher this year because P. Ryan's is gone it looks like it's going to be exactly the same ceiling as it has been the past few years yeah that's fair and and yeah just in regards to how the Bengals played i was watching a fair bit of that game and man i think the browns we have them at 18 unofficial pressures in this game um so burrow i, I noted in the article that anytime he faced 14 or more pressures he, he finished only as a top 10 quarterback once last year he finished outside the top 12 the other three times and he's definitely going to be outside the top 12 um, of quarterbacks this week it was not good so uh, I don't even think they played a single snap in the red zone so it, mm-hmm. it's a little bit it was concerning against a good defense but all the target rates are strong right um, 26.5 percent target rate for Jamar Chase 20.6 percent for T Higgins even though he didn't get any points for us um, and 20.8 percent target rate for Irv Smith who had 71 percent uh, route participation so any interest in Irv Smith um, after this game a little bit yeah it would have been nice to see him get a little more production in this game caught three of five targets for 17 yards but I wasn't very often that a Cincinnati tight end saw over 20% of targets per route last season. It was Hayden Hurst in a couple of games, typically when a Bengals wide receiver was injured. So everyone was healthy in this game. So Smith is someone that I'd be worth adding mostly because he's a bit more of an unknown. Some of the guys that we've talked about who got seven targets this week, we at least know who they are. So we know there's at least a cap somewhere of what their upside is where Smith has shown promise at times throughout his career when he's been healthy. So there's a chance that he can be the tight end in the Bengals offense to be a fantasy starter, even though the last couple in this offense haven't been able to quite hit that mark. Nice. All right. That's awesome. How about the uh, Cleveland Browns? Surely we saw Nick Chubb absorb those um, receiving down snaps after Kareem Hunt is gone, right? Uh, Not quite. It was eerily similar to things before when Kareem Hunt was there with 
Jerome Ford taking the third down snaps, taking over half of the two-minute drill, and at times, uh, Cleveland's doing a lot of no-back sets this season at times as well, with Elijah Moore basically serving as the running back at times in those formations. Uh, the really odd part to me is there were times throughout Nick Chubb's career that I noticed that he would play a lot of snaps in the first quarter to the third quarter, and then Kareem Hunt would take over in the fourth quarter, kind of being like a closer for the team. And Jerome Ford took over in the fourth quarter, which some of that also probably just had to do with the fact that it was a blowout. So it made sense to give the backup who missed the entire preseason a little bit more playing time, but just seeing the similarities there with Ford to Hunt. So Ford, um, I he's going to make my waiver wire article. He's going to be near, near the bottom of the running backs in that article, but just seeing him get so much usage in this game was noteworthy. Um, Chubb did see at least some targets in this game, uh, four targets for four receptions, which was decent. Uh, it was the eighth game in his career with four or more receptions. So um, that's at least good to see that he should be seeing a few more targets going forward. So even if he's not seeing an increase in the amount of snaps he's seeing, targets are worth more for uh, fantasy running backs than carries are. So if he's able to see a little bit more targets going forward, that's still a plus for Chubb. So uh, if you're starting him in your fantasy lineup, regardless, just because of how good he is, whether he was playing half the snaps or all the snaps, but um, his upside should be a little bit higher this year because they are throwing the ball more, assuming they still run the ball plenty with them. Yeah, I thought that was interesting for sure. Deshaun Watson, maybe it's more just of a tendency to want to go to Nick Chubb uh, more than anything because, yeah, only the 34% route participation, which was the same as Ford, but obviously the much higher target rate there. So he did end up with those four targets and receptions in the game, but just something to kind of keep an eye on if that route participation remains low for Nick Chubb. Um, will Deshaun Watson continue to be able to get him the ball in the passing game to hopefully raise that floor a little bit? Um the other players in this game for the Browns, a couple receivers I think were, were noteworthy, Elijah Moore and Amari Cooper. So what did we see from, from these two guys? And and are, are you concerned at all about either one of them? Uh, yeah, Cooper caught three passes for 37 yards. The big thing for me is they were rotating him out more often than uh, we've typically seen out of him. I believe the one game up here watching right now, the he had one game last year where his snaps fell to as low as it was in this game, but he was getting substituted out a lot in 11 personnel, which is the concern uh, with Marquis good or yeah, good when seeing a lot of those snaps. Um, he also, I uh, believe missed some time in the middle of the game. He was went to the medical tent at one point in the game, but he was also getting substituted out some before that injury. So even though the injury accounts for some of his low snaps, I think he might continue to see fewer snaps this season than he was last season because Cleveland is rotating their wide receivers a little bit more. So Cooper, hard to call him a sell high candidate because he didn't necessarily have a good game, but he might be someone that I'd be looking to trade at this point to see if you can get a good value out of him. Yeah, I think that's a good call. It, that, that's some concerning usage there at 63% route participation for Cooper. Um, I thought Elijah Moore's usage was was strong. I mean, 21.4% target rate, right? He had just the three receptions for 43 yards. So nothing crazy in the stat sheet, but they got him involved in the out of the backfield as well with those two yep. carries. I think he went for 19 yards, which was nice to see. And um, and they continued to utilize him in, in the red zone. It was a small sample, um, but it was a 50% target rate once they got inside the red zone. But at least 
least showing that they didn't go away from him there because even his carries came um, on the other side of the 50 in their own territory. So they're continuing to get him involved at all areas of the field, which is nice to see and, and a positive for Elijah Moore going forward, I thought. All right, let's look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Minnesota Vikings. So um, one of the takeaways from this game, I don't know if people know this, but Justin Jefferson is very good. Um, so <laughs> obviously had a massive game today with nine receptions, 150 yards, somehow no touchdowns, but he was, he'll be just fine. I'm sure. Um, but anything else out of this game, uh, starting with Minnesota that, uh, that you'd like to see or didn't like to see. Uh, starting with the wide receivers, uh, Jordan Addison, uh, played well in this game for caught four passes for 61 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the big thing with him, though, is he was restricted to three wide receiver sets. Uh, literally played 100% of snaps anytime Minnesota had three wide receivers on the field and 0% of snaps anytime that they had two or one wide receiver on the field. So um, I would think if they were planning on moving Addison to wide receiver two anytime soon, we would have seen a small percentage of snaps in 12 personnel, but that didn't happen. So I would expect Addison, at least for the short term, to continue to be the third wide receiver in Minnesota. I think even though he's the third receiver, he could consistently outperform Osborne in the passing game since a lot of the plays were Osborne's on the field and Addison is off is run plays, but uh, there's definitely pass plays in there as well. Osborne ran 44 routes to 31 by Addison. So Osborne was running more routes, and that should continue to be the case, at least in the short term. Um, I would think by the end of the season, Addison would be the number two wide receiver. It's just a matter of when that happens throughout the season. So definitely holding on to Addison, probably not putting him in my starting lineup until he is able to see more offensive snaps. But uh, definitely promising to see him get those four catches for the 61 yards and score that touchdown. Yeah, for sure. That was definitely nice. And I'm with you. I think th that usage is just going to kind of increase as the season goes on. We see this all the time with these kind of um, highly drafted rookies. They they do get more usage as the year, uh, get, as we get later into the year. So not too concerned about the 66% row participation for, for Jordan Addison, but at, at made the most of it. That's for sure. Um, out of the backfield, Alexander Madison just 34 rushing yards despite handling 79% of the running back carries. Luckily, he found the end zone as a receiver on one of his three receptions there, but wasn't really effective today. He had a couple goal-to-go goal -to -go carries as well, got stuffed on both. So what do you think about, the after watching this game, the, the Vikings backfield? Yeah, like just looking at this graphic of how he was used throughout the game, this is ideal of what I was hoping to see out of Madison, a clear majority of early down snaps. 100% of the short yardage and goal line snaps, a pretty big majority of the passing down snaps with um, no backs here being Minnesota often put their fullback, uh, CJ Hammond, in some passing situations more to be used as a blocker. So not overly concerned about Alexander Madison losing a couple of snaps in passing situations because they wanted to have a blocking running back there instead. But Really, he didn't do a ton with his opportunities, had 34 yards on his 11 carries, caught three passes for 10 yards. Um, so ideally, the Vikings offense is playing a little bit better. Ideally, they can build a little bit of a lead um, and are able to run the ball a lot more in the second half of games, in which case I think Madison should have some huge weeks. But 
I feel like this is kind of the floor of what we should expect out of Madison going forward. Yeah. Yeah. The usage I, it was great. I love to see that. It was just, yeah, I thought he'd be a little bit more effective, I guess, but maybe that Tampa Bay defensive line is a, a little bit better than I thought they might be. Um, so disappointed Madison didn't get like over 50 yards rushing at least, but um, at least he found the end zone there, which is nice to see. And that usage is all still very strong. So there will be better days as long as that usage continues. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and anything for you in this one, because they played all right in this game. I mean, they, they ended up getting the win. I Baker Mayfield as well. So they, they were able to move the ball around. And, and obviously Mike Evans got a decent amount of targets too, despite the trade rumors coming out today as well. Um, so what did you think about this Tampa Bay uh, offense today? Oh, we can start with the running backs because it was kind of a similar story in that white was, Uh, is the starter now and expected to see a significant number of snaps. And we saw exactly that clear majority of early down short yardage, all the passing snaps. So it was great to see him dominate snaps in this game. He ran the ball 17 times, but only gained 39 yards, Uh, caught two passes for 10 yards. Um, This is a similar story to what we saw last year out of white in that we started to see more and more snaps, but he wasn't all that efficient on them. So the offensive line definitely has something to do with it, but it's possible that another running back could do the same things that White is doing or maybe do a little bit better. So I am a little bit concerned that if we continue to see White only average two to three yards per carry, that uh, Sean Tucker, who's able been able to work his way up the depth chart to this point, we might see Tucker start to eat into White's playing time just to see if a different running back can start to be a little bit more effective in this offense. So while I think White is safe in the short term, I'd be a little bit concerned in the long term if he doesn't start uh, performing a little bit better. Yeah, like you said, nice to see the usage there, but 2.3 yards per carry on 17 attempts is not going to get it done, especially when his longest run was just six yards as well. And then Sean Tucker, I mean, he wasn't that much more effective, but it was a much smaller sample size for him, right? Just five carries. So um, he only averaged three yards, but you're right. I I was concerned that maybe we'd start to see Tucker get more snaps already in this game. Luckily white held him off, but I think you're, you know, if that usage or that efficiency continues to be that low and that ineffective, we can definitely start to see kind of a changing of the guard there in, uh, in the Tampa Bay backfield. Um, Anything from their receiving core uh, that that you want to talk about here? Um, I'll just briefly mention that Trey Palmer did take the lead for the third wide receiver spot. Uh, We saw Chris Godwin play on the outside almost the entire game. So it was these younger wide receivers playing in the slot. Uh, Palmer did end up scoring a touchdown. Uh, Probably not someone that I'm adding on waivers unless it's a very deep league, in which case Palmer is probably already taken. So probably not helpful for too many fantasy managers at this point, but I would expect Palmer to have a decent role if there was ever an injury to Godwin or Evans or if Evans did get traded and the Buccaneers didn't add a receiver to replace him. Gotcha. All right. Um, The Tennessee Titans at the New Orleans Saints. Uh, The Saints hang on for a one-point win in this game. Let's start with Tennessee, though, because the backfield was kind of interesting the way that they were deployed so what did you see from the the titans backfield here uh so tajay spears was actually on the field more than derrick henry which we have seen that happen in some games in the past where henry would see the second most amount of snaps to the receiving back so it wasn't all that surprising to see this happen but 
it was a really high majority of whenever Henry was on the field, they were getting him the ball, which isn't super sustainable. But it was good to see Spears see so much playing time, and he did well in his playing time to uh, just three carries, but got 27 yards on those carries. So I would expect him to continue to see a decent amount of playing time. And if he's playing well, then that could potentially eat into Henry's playing time a little bit more. So I expect Spears to continue to be the clear passing down back going forward. But if he continues to see a decent amount of snaps on early downs, then he could start to potentially have some standalone value this year. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, and nice to see for, for yeah, Ty J Spears, because I mean, look, Derek Henry is getting older. There's potentially some workload to be shared there, especially after being like a 85%, um, you know, carry holder in that backfield for the longest time, getting some Ty J Spears touches in there could be nice. He's been effective with his touches in the preseason and it continued into this game as well. So positive there for Ty J Spears, but maybe not so much for Derek Henry, um, despite him still being Derek Henry when he touches the ball. Um, the other thing in, as far as the pass catchers go for Tennessee, we saw a couple things. The first one being DeAndre Hopkins uh, got a 33.3% target rate on 90% route participation. So really wide receiver one numbers there, but really he only ended up with seven catches for 65 yards. Um, so the, the, underlying numbers were positive the actual box score production not so much and ryan Tannehill was a bit of a problem there 16 for 34 passing with three interceptions and four turnover worthy plays um unofficial through first through the first run there for the turnover worthy plays so hopkins obviously a positive but anybody else um for the titans receiving core that you liked after this game yeah, I'm going to skip over the wide receivers and go straight to Chigazima Kunkwo. Uh, he played a huge majority of snaps in this game, played 95% of snaps on 12 and 11, uh, 12 and 21 personnel, excuse me, which is a personnel grouping that he was playing significantly last year, just not to that extent. And then he was playing a clear majority of snaps and 11 personnel was playing 75% of snaps in that personnel group. And when he was not on the field for those plays, it was typically a run formation, at least uh, more often than not, they were running the ball out of 11 personnel with Trevin uh, Wesco at tight end. So um, he was running a route on the clear majority of pass plays for Tennessee, uh, just a couple plays where he was blocking or those plays where Wesco was on the field. So um, he was only targeted twice. One of them could have been this huge, a deep play that was just not the greatest throw, so it wasn't didn't end up being a catch, but Conquo was definitely open on that trick play. Um, so it was just really promising to see him get this much playing time in the game. This is about as good as we could have expected coming into the season in terms of his playing time. Now he just needs to get those targets back that he was getting last year. If you can mix uh, the playing time he got in this game with the efficiency he had last year, then you have a top five fantasy tight end. He just needs to put that all together, and the Titans offense needs to put that all together. Yeah, it would be nice to to get some catchable targets his way. I mean that that one down the sideline, the the flea flicker from from Tannehill mm -hmm. where he overthrew him. I, I about stood up from my seat because I had to stream Oconquo this week with with injuries <laughs> to Mark Andrews, and uh, unfortunately it did not end well. Just zero uh, receptions for Chico Conquo. So obviously not what we're looking for. But like you said, the underlying usage and and the snap share is there for him. So it's just a matter of that kind of coming together now and potentially get having. Better 
better days ahead, which I think we could definitely see now that he's going to be on the field that much. Um, how about for the Saints? So there was a, a couple interesting. I know Chris Olave, he left this game for just a short period of time, gave us a, a bit of a scare there with the injury, but he still he stayed in there um, and led the team in targets, receptions, yards, all the stuff that we expected him to. But a few other um, nice receiving options for the, for the Saints in this one. Uh, yeah, I think with the Saints, both the wide receivers and tight ends, I guess you had me predict how many snaps and routes people would run. Uh, knowing that they had 65 plays, I would probably have been pretty close to this. It was Olave and Thomas being the two starting receivers, uh, Rashid Shahid uh, playing his first game back after missing most of, or all of the preseason with injury. Uh, great to see him get six targets, uh, all three wide receivers Played fairly well in this game. Juwan Johnson also saw a good number of snaps, all five targets as well. So for me, the Saints wide receivers and tight ends, it was a lot of kind of what I expected out of this season. I think the one downside is because they have three wide receivers who can all play well, plus a tight end, you're not going to see all four of them do very well every week with Derek Carr as your quarterback. Some of them are going to have good weeks. Some of them are going to have bad weeks. Yeah, that's fair. It was still nice to see um, Michael Thomas went into the game healthy, hopefully left the game healthy. Um, 89% route participation, 20% target rate was nice to see. And yeah, Rashid Shahid being that deep threat, right? Like I think he had 50% of his targets were deep targets. He, he One of those kind of high upside wide receivers, if we're looking for, um, you know, somebody that, that has that upside and can break off those big plays, even if they're not necessarily getting uh, the, the, ideal route participation or or overall target rate it's still uh, a nice play there Rashid Shahid and good that Carr can actually get him the ball as well um all right last of the one o'clock games I believe this is and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts uh where do you want to start with this one well we can go with uh, Jacksonville's running back since it's always fun to talk about Tank Bigsby. <laughs> uh, we did see Travis Etienne see a clear majority of snaps in this game, a clear, uh, obviously got the passing down work, which we kind of expected. The early down work um, played very well. We did see pretty early in the game, um, Etienne was playing a clear majority of snaps the first three drives or so, but just wasn't touching the ball very much. And then Bigsby came in on the fourth drive and there was a point where Bigsby and ETN were pretty near even in terms of how many touches they were getting and targets, but then Bigsby uh, lost a fumble. He also had a pass where he dropped the ball and the other team uh, was able to get an interception off of that drop pass. So it wasn't a strong performance out of Bigsby early on. Um, he at least continued to see at least a little bit of playing time throughout the game. And then the big thing to note is Bigsby saw the goal line work, which is something that we expected based on preseason usage, uh, which resulted in a touchdown. So we even got to a point where Bigsby seemed like he was pretty close to ETN in terms of fantasy points. Um, then ETN went and scored a touchdown on a big run uh, less than a minute of game time later. So ETN, a clear, solid game out of him, one of the best running backs this week in general, but I think Bigsby will continue to be a factor going forward as long as he's not turning the ball over multiple times a game. <laughs> yeah, really weird where it looked like 
Lawrence like was kind of strip sacked and the ball like just kind of bounced from him. He just held it basically. And and I think he thought the play was over. So yeah, I don't know. I, I have a hard time blaming him for that. He just it's just one of those those things where you think the, the play is over, they knocked it out of his hand, and then they went down and scored. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean ETN look not like a workhorse um workload by any means at the 69% carry rate, but I, I, it's nice to see Bigsby at least getting that goal line work. We might not have seen Travis Etienne get any touchdown opportunities if not for that big 26 yard touchdown run. Right. So um, there'll be, there'll be weeks where we potentially see um, Etienne have down weeks. Bigsby have the bigger week, but um, I think looking at maybe the wide receivers is interesting here because Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones had really strong games. Christian Kirk did not, uh, was the usage the reason for Christian Kirk being down this week? Uh, I would say so. Uh, first off, I do want to mention Calvin Ridley having missed most of the last two seasons and coming back in this first game. Having such a good game was fairly impressive. 101 yards on eight receptions, scoring a touchdown. So it was great to see out of Ridley. Um, the downside is uh, Kirk didn't play very much in 11 per, or in 12 personnel, which we kind of expected based on his preseason usage. It just manifested itself a lot more in this game. So we saw him play a lot fewer snaps than we were used to seeing him play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So this definitely puts a cap on his ceiling. I don't think he will continue to have as poor of games as he had in this game. He only had the two targets. I expect his target share to be able to bounce back in this one and have better games than he saw today. I just don't think he'll see as huge of games as he was seeing at times last season. Yeah, the the 69% route participation is not a killer, but obviously it's far from what we were hoping for for him. And obviously one target for nine yards is a problem. But like you said, there will be other weeks where he he improves on that number um, and is a little bit more efficient with his opportunities. So um, definitely concerning for Christian Kirk, but it might not be, you know, the death knell that that it seems to be with that that stat line. Um, All right, the Colts. We got Anthony Richardson in this game who had 10 rushing attempts, four of them scrambles, uh, just 40 yards, but he added in a rushing touchdown in there. I mean, that that 10 runs is, is a massive number right up there with, with Justin Fields and, and Jalen Hurts last year, right? And then even as a passer, 223 yards passing, much better than I think most people would expect, he, but he did have 45 dropbacks in this game, um, took four sacks, threw a pick in there. I think it's going to be part of the, the kind of learning curve with him. Um, but that upside that we talked about all se- all offseason was definitely there today. And man, it, I mean, if he gets 45 dropbacks regularly, that, that passing our total will, will be a really nice boost for his production on top of what he's adding on the ground. So all of that passing, Definitely a positive for his wide receiver core, which I think was maybe the concern coming into this season if he can support consistent fantasy wide receivers. But what did we see from uh, the Colts uh, receiving core in in this game? Uh, The Colts, it was a bit of what we kind of expected with the wide receivers. We expected Downs to be the slot player, which he was in this game. We expected Pierce and Pittman to be the starters. It was good to see Pittman see those 10 targets and do a good job with those targets. So, um, it was nice considering all those articles where I did the perfect draft strategy and Pittman was either like the seventh or eighth round wide receiver in a ton of those. So it was good to see that pay off a little bit. And then I'd note the tight ends. Um, it does look good for Kylan Granton just looking at his snaps in this game, but it's worth noting that Andrew Ogletree 
I left the game fairly early on, and when he did leave the game, it was a pretty even split with Ogletree and Granson. So I expect this to be another year of a three-man rotation at tight end where no one's seeing a fair majority of snaps. It only happened in this game due to injury. Even if Ogletree has to miss time, they have more tight ends on the roster, on the practice squad, who can be part of a three-man rotation. And then Jelani Woods on into reserve out another two weeks, but he should be back and complicate things even further. So avoiding the Colts tight end and probably going to try avoiding writing about them throughout the rest of the year, just because they're not going to help anyone. Fair enough. And then um, for the backfield here, look, Zach Moss, he was questionable kind of leading up to today it was maybe that he was going to play. So at least maybe he ends up being uh, ruled inactive potentially comes back next week, but Dion Jackson led the way this week. Um, what, what do we see for the usage uh, out of the Colts backfield? So we saw Dion Jackson play a huge majority of snaps throughout the game. Um, he was a clear starter, was playing a ton early on, just was not effective running the ball whatsoever, had 14 yards on 13 carries, uh, caught five passes for 14 yards. It seemed like once we got to the middle of the game, they were trying to cut back on Jackson's snaps, start to move more towards Evan Hull playing more, but then Hull ended up injuring his knee. So then Jake Funk was the other running back. Uh, We saw Jackson and Funk basically split the snaps in the fourth quarter. So while this looks like Jackson is the clear dominant back in the Colts backfield, I don't think that'll continue to be the case. Um, Even if Zach Boss is not ready to go next week, I would expect this to be more of a split backfield, whether it's Jackson and Hull. If Hull is ready to play again, Funk could play more. They could bring someone like Kenyon Drake back for one week. But I would definitely expect if Zach Moss, who was questionable coming into this game, if he's ready to go next week, I would expect Moss to be the clear starter. Yeah, that'll be nice to see because hopefully Zach Moss is able to average more than 1.1 yards per carry. Um, I would think he is. So we'll see if we can get some quality fantasy running back out of that Colts backfield while Jonathan Taylor is absent. Um, All right, before we keep going, let's give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. Uh, Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? Well, good thing that's over. NFL is here in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner. The NFL is giving you a can't-miss offer uh, for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with all the game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check this app to see what you get. Download now and use code PFF to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting 5 bucks. That's code PFF only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. CDKNG.co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions restrictions apply all right green bay packers and the chicago bears the packers didn't really have uh any trouble with this one they dominated uh for most of the game justin fields looked 
fine. He had some issues. He had some ups and downs. Definitely wasn't the the huge improvement that we were expecting as a passer. It was a lot of the same. But let's start with the let's at least start with the Green Bay Packers here. Um, what did you think about your Packers uh, in, in this game? Um, the interesting thing was always going to be the receivers. Um, we did see Aaron Jones get hurt late in the game, but it sounds like he's going to be fine. So at least something to monitor. But the wide receivers, we saw five man rotation. Um, the big thing is Romeo Dobbs, who was injured, was on a snap count. He did end up scoring two touchdowns in his limited snaps. So good to see him score some touchdowns. So he's probably someone worth looking at off the waiver wire. Uh, Jaden Reed was used exactly how I expected as well, was playing significantly in the slot, playing almost all the snaps out of 11 personnel, rarely playing in any other personnel group. So I think Reed is someone who's definitely intriguing with the five targets and one carry in this game. Um, I think the snaps should continue to stay about the same and probably play even more snaps in games where Green Bay is not blowing out their opponent and they can switch to playing a lot of two tight end sets. Um, Musgrave is the other interesting one on this team. Uh, four targets, ended up with 50 receiving yards. Um, didn't dominate snaps quite as much as we saw in the preseason. We were seeing him play 100% of snaps at time, was only playing 75% of snaps in this one, but he was playing in every personnel group that they had significantly. It was just rotating him out here and there. So I think it was positive usage out of Musgrave. Ideally, we would have seen more targets out of him, but I think. With the Packers having the blowout and not needing to pass the ball all that much, I think we'll see more targets out of him going forward. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Look, the 17.4% target rate, not bad. Three for 50 on those four targets. So, you know, it was a fine game. Most people aren't starting him yet anyways, but maybe this week he could have been a streamer for a lot of people with the injuries. But yeah, they, the, I guess the main thing, Aaron Jones, right? I, I mean, he pulled that hamstring, but he he looked amazing in, in his touches this uh, here in week one. So hopefully he's okay and gets back. Um, and Jordan Love looks solid too, through three touchdowns um, and 245 yards without Christian Watson. So um, anything for Chicago uh, that for you? I mean, DJ Moore, just two catches for 25 yards, uh, ended up with just a 4.3% target rate on 94% of routes. So um, any concern for this uh, Chicago offense or anything that stands out as a as potential hope for Chicago? Uh, not too worried about more. I wrote mo about more in my start set column this week and that I'd be setting him because of the Packers' strength on their defenses, their outside cornerbacks and more plays as an outside receiver. So this was probably going to be one of Moore's toughest matchups this season. So makes complete sense that they were targeting Mooney as their slot receiver and Cole Komet as their uh, tight end because it's the middle of the field that you want to attack in Green Bay's defense with their uh, new safety and some moving parts in Green Bay's defense compared to their outside receivers. So to me, it made a lot of sense that Moore didn't see the targets. I'm not worried about him. The huge thing for me with Chicago was this three-man backfield. This is when you talk about a three-man backfield, this is your worst nightmare of how the players were used. All of them saw double-digit snaps on early downs. The only real tendency was uh, Roshan Johnson saw the majority of snaps in passing situations, which we saw those third-down snaps with the starters in the last preseason game. So that was, was definitely good to see out of Johnson. He ended up leading the team in snaps, uh, ended up with uh, six targets in the game. 
So I think Johnson is someone definitely worth adding to your fantasy roster and stashing him just because we could start to see more playing time as the season progresses. Um, Herbert still led the team in carries, but with this three-man split, it's going to be hard to start him going forward, especially if this continues. I know Chicago historically likes to rotate their tight end, or not tight ends, running backs by drive, and they typically would have David Montgomery on the first two drives. Herbert did see every snap on the first drive, but from there it was more or less a free-for-all for snaps. So um, prob- definitely keeping Herbert, not dropping him, but I'd be it would be difficult for me to put Herbert in a starting lineup at this point, seeing this kind of split. Yeah. Especially if the game scripts continue to be negative for, for like for Khalil Herbert and, and um, for Deontay Foreman, right. It might be working more in Roshan Johnson's favor as that receiving down back. If the bears can't stay in games and, um, and, and have to be pushing for, for points here, having that clear receiving down back role is definitely a positive for Roshan Johnson. And yeah, maybe he can eat into some of the carries as well and, and, and be effective. I know just five in this game, but um, like you said, and like we've been saying, you know, these rookie um, these rookies then tend to get a little bit more work as the season goes on. So someone to keep an eye on there for sure. Um, all right, let's go to uh, Miami and the Chargers here. Man, Tua Tungavailoa, 466 passing yards on 46 dropbacks through three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, also just ridiculous. He had a 43% target rate today. Um, and yeah, he looked amazing. No signs of slowing down or any kind of regression for Tyreek Hill uh, here in week one. But what else was uh, going on with this Miami uh, offense? Uh, yeah, I need to watch this game in more detail when the later games are on. I'm just grinding through the recaps of the early <laughs> games with the games on in the background. So I got to see highlights here and there, but this looks like a fun game to watch. But I think Miami, uh, the big things with them is we saw Raheem Mostert as the clear early down back. This is what we expected. The big thing happened before the game of Devin A-Chain was a healthy and active, which it makes a little bit of sense considering how much time he missed throughout training camp with injury, but it's just a disappointing start to his career at this point. I'm not writing him off for this season whatsoever, but it's just not the start that you would want to see. So I expect Mostert to be the clear starter for these next couple of weeks while Jeff Wilson is still on injured reserve. So uh, fine having Mostert for now, but probably don't want him on my roster long-term, but I don't see anyone really trying to trade for him considering he only had 37 yards on 10 carries. At least scored a touchdown if you were starting him, so that's good. Uh, The wide receiver rotation was exactly what I expected. I think the biggest thing for me with a lot of these teams was the tight end. Any tight end who saw seven targets is at least worth talking about since there weren't that many tight ends who had a good week. So uh, Durham Smythe, who was the starting tight end last year, but was more of a receiving tight or more of a blocking tight end. Um, We didn't really see him get this much work in the passing game. So seeing him run 33 routes, which is the most routes of any Dolphins player in this game, since they like to rotate their wide receivers in and out, including their star receivers. So Smythe, I'm probably not even picking him up off the waiver wire at this point, but he's at least someone where I thought I wouldn't really be talking about the Dolphins tight ends at all throughout the season, but if Mike continues to put up a few good games and continues to see this huge majority of offensive snaps, then he's at least worth considering. 
Yeah, that's a good call. And I mean, look, the the usage is there for him, right? The snaps, 80% route participation, 18.4% target rate. If Tua Tungavello is dropping back 40-something times a game, there's going to be opportunity for him there. It's not going to be high-end opportunity because of, you know, his profile as a, a potential receiver out of the tight end position. But, um, I mean, at least there's something there, at least for deeper leagues, potential streamers, if there's a good matchup there for, for Durham Smythe as well. So um, that was definitely uh, at least encouraging usage there for, for Smythe. Um, for the Chargers... Any concern at all that that Josh Kelly and Austin Eckler basically split 16 carries each here? Um, anything, at least from the usage that, that stood out to you, that it would have you kind of at least hesitant for, for locking Austin Eckler in as like a top five running back? I'm not too concerned. I think it was just the fact that they were running 80 plus plays. Uh, Eckler played 24 of 35 snaps in the first half, so... Um, we expected Eckler to not be in a 100% snap running back. We've seen it the past couple of years where <laughs> Eckler has said he likes getting rotated out at times to help keep him fresh. So it wasn't surprising to see Kelly see a decent amount of snaps in the first half. And Eckler played 40 snaps in this game, 41 snaps in this game, which is more than he probably likes to see. So he did just fine in terms of fantasy production. And I think of the charges weren't running so many plays and Eckler would have had a higher percentage of the snaps. So not worried about this one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you still elite and yeah, 16 carries 117 yards, a touchdown, four receptions, 47 yards, definitely strong numbers for Austin Eckler. No signs of him slowing down uh, either. So good to see there from all sides, anything else in this one that uh, you want to touch on or should we go on to the next one here? Um, I will say a little bit concerned about some of the receivers. Quinton Johnston only played 22 snaps. We expected him to be the fourth wide receiver in this game, but a decent number of those snaps uh, happened when Mike Williams was getting checked out uh, for a potential injury. So Johnston could have only seen 10 to 15 snaps had the Chargers wide receiver stayed healthy. So a little concerning that he isn't seeing that much playing time after being a first round pick. And then, uh, Gerald Abrett, I think, was very interesting at tight end for Los Angeles. Um, in terms of percentage of offensive snaps, it was fairly similar to what we saw last year, but how he was used was differently than what we saw last year. Um, Everett was typically the passing down tight end for Los Angeles, where Donald Parham, uh, Trey McKitty were both more rundown tight ends. But in this game, it was Everett and Parham getting used pretty interchangeably. Um, both tight ends saw three targets in this game. So I'd be a little bit concerned with Everett going forward. I would probably even be fine potentially dropping him if you had a decent other option at tight end, just because I could see Everett continue to lose playing time if they're getting used interchangeably. And Donald Parham has pretty consistently graded a little bit better as a receiver throughout his career. It's just been staying healthy for him. And Everett has more of a reputation at tight end but we have a new offensive coordinator they're getting used differently uh trey mckitty was barely involved in the offense so definitely uh changes happening at tight end so everett only running a route on 25 of the 42 pass plays when los angeles isn't running 80 offensive snaps i'd expect less offensive snaps from everett and if he's only getting three targets in the game where they're running 80 plays then that might only be one or two targets when they run a normal amount of plays so pretty concerning out of Everett. Yeah. 
Good shout there. Um, all right, let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles at the New England Patriots. Um, Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch in this game. So what did the Philadelphia backfield look like with Penny scratched? Uh, so Kenneth Gainwell started the game, and he was the clear starter throughout the game. He saw the majority of snaps on early downs, the majority of the passing down work. Uh, DeAndre Swift was the clear second running back, also running a decent amount of routes, both on early downs as well as some passing down situations. Boston Scott even mixed in, but Swift and Scott only had one carry each, uh, one reception each, where Gainwell was getting all of the carries, uh, the majority of the route runs. So Gainwell, I tweeted before the game started that Gainwell is available on your waiver wire that you should probably pick him up. And he did exactly what I thought he could do and that he was the uh, every down back since that's basically what the beat reporters were saying that it looked like he was going to be based on all the training camp usage that they were doing with the running backs with the ones. So I would expect Gainwell to continue to be the starter, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, it would probably take Gainwell having a bad game or some turnovers to turn things around. But even in this game, the Eagles offense didn't look all that great, even though they ended up with the victory. I'd expect when they're playing even better, that Gainwell should be able to put up more fantasy points than he saw in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- this, I think the usage was was even more encouraging comparing him to DeAndre Swift, right? Who really didn't do anything in this game. We just got the one carry. I think he had one target or two targets in the game. Two targets, um, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, just dominant uh, performance for, for at least for usage for, for Gainwell. So you definitely like to see that. And you got to figure the Eagles offense is going to have better days as well, especially, um, you know, facing the Patriots, one of the better defenses in the league. So um, I think we'll, we'll definitely get some better days out of uh, Kenneth Gainwell here. As far as the wide receivers go, anything that stands out is out of the ordinary here. I know Dallas Goddard kind of put up a, a goose egg on us, um, but anything usage-wise that, that's worth touching on? Uh, not really. It was basically the same as last year, just concerning that Goddard only had the one target since he was the one healthy tight end. That's good. But him and Kyle Pitts. Oh, God. The, the tight ends are going to kill us this year. We're not off to a good start yeah. here um, for up to tight no, ends. Like the top guys are all like, if you got 40 to 50 receiving yards and scored a touchdown, then that's the best that you were going to get this week. Yeah. Oh, man, it's brutal. Yeah, hopefully we get like Dolphin Kincaid or somebody emerging uh, tomorrow night. But God, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this was a frustrating one. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, how about the, the New England Patriots here? Because... Uh, we finally got to see Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott, a, a larger snap share of the two of them together and what that um, usage split looked like. So what did uh, the Patriots show us here from their backfield? Yeah, so we saw Stevenson roughly see two snaps for every one that Ezekiel Elliott had. We saw them used decently interchangeably. I thought we'd see Stevenson have a pretty clear majority of third down snaps, but we saw Elliott on the field a decent amount on third downs. Um, part of Stevenson dominating was he just saw a lot of the two-minute drill work and they ran over 20 plays out of the two-minute drill in this game. So that was at least part of why Stevenson dominated snaps as much as he did. But we saw these two decently close together. So um, I'm not overly concerned about Stevenson at this point, but I think Elliott could reach a point where he has standalone value 
Um, it was also interesting that they ran, I believe it was nine plays where both running backs, uh, 10 plays where they were both on the field at the same time. So that's not something that we see all that often out of two uh, running backs at the top of the depth chart. So it was interesting to see them use that way. Oftentimes, both of them in the backfield at the same time, some of them, some of the time, one of them split into the slot. So um, I think it was definitely interesting how they were used. I will note that Elliot did have the one uh, goal line snap. It was really a two minute or not two minute, uh, two point conversion attempt. And it was on a drive where Stevenson took all of the snaps leading up to it. So it might have just been a case of Stevenson just was in for a bunch of plays, time to put Elliot in. But there was plenty of speculation that Elliot could see the goal line work going forward and the Patriots um, didn't really rotate their running backs how they have in the past. This was kind of a new thing of how they rotated these two running backs. So it is possible that Elliot could be the goal line back, even though the Patriots historically haven't used a goal line back. So I'm not saying this one goal line snap means Elliot will continue to be the goal line back, but I'm also saying there's at least a possibility that Elliot will be the goal line back more so than what I thought prior to this game. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. Um, uh, so as far as the wide receivers go, I mean, Kendrick Bourne had a hell of a game, 11 targets in this one. He went six for 64 and two touchdowns. Are you willing to list Kendrick Bourne as the Patriots wide receiver one at this point? Uh, probably not just because Devontae Parker was not in this game. So that impacted things a little bit. And we saw two sixth round wide receivers see significant playing time. This is their first game in the NFL. I would expect them to continue to improve as the season progresses. The big thing for me was uh, how Juju Smith-Schuster was used. And it was very interesting in that Smith-Schuster played significantly when it was 12 personnel or 21 personnel or any personnel group that wasn't 11 personnel. And 11 personnel, it was born... Uh, Douglas and Bodie seeing the majority of the snaps in 11 personnel over Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, he still saw significant work in 11 personnel, just not as much as the other three receivers. So I'm not exactly sure what to make of that at this point, but he only ran a route on 27 of the 58 pass plays New England had. If that continues to be the case, then Smith-Schuster probably isn't even worth rostering anymore but i'm definitely willing to hold on to him if i drafted him just to see if this continues or if there's any explanation for why this happened but just based on this one game he did see seven targets so that was positive at least but if this kind of thing continues then he's not going to be a reliable fantasy asset whatsoever yeah, really interesting. And and honestly, if it wasn't if it wasn't Bill Belichick and the Patriots, I'd probably be like slightly more concerned until I saw it for a second week at least because we know that Belichick game planning and and, and things like that can definitely change the way that he utilizes all of his players on offense and defense. So, um I would I would give it yeah, at least another week or two for Juju Smith-Schuster to kind of see what that usage looks like for him going forward. Um otherwise, yeah, if it if it remains the same, I'm with you. I wouldn't want to be uh wouldn't want to be holding on to him either. Yeah, I would be fine trading him at this point if you can find a trade partner, but just don't cut him at this point. For sure. Awesome. All right. Um, we got, what do we got next? Rams and Seahawks are next. So remember when we felt pretty good that 
Cam Akers was entering the year as the clear RB1 for the Rams. Well, not so much. What did the Rams show us uh, in this game? I mean, after the first snap of the game, we saw it because Cam Akers started the game. But from that point on, Kyron Williams was the main running back for Los Angeles. We kind of expected him to be the passing down back just based on all the reports from training camp and the Rams did not use their starters at all throughout the preseason. And that included both Akers and Williams. So we at least knew that he should be a decent part of the offense. We just didn't expect him to be the majority player on early downs, split the time and goal line, take the short yarded situation. So this was definitely interesting. We did see Akers end up leading the team in carries, but a lot of that had to do with the Rams uh, having the lead late in the game and just trying to close out the game. Akers saw, I think, eight carries in the last three minutes and 30 seconds of the game. So Williams very easily could have been the leader both in carries and targets. Uh, Williams ran 29 routes to four by Akers. So this was fairly extreme. Um, well, this makes Williams one of the top, if not the top waiver wire target of the week, just because you're not going to be able to find number one running backs off the waiver wire. We have seen throughout Sean McVay's history, him change how he uses running backs over time. So I'm not saying this is a certain thing that Williams will continue to be the clear top back for Los Angeles, but he's at least worth picking up off the waiver wire in case he continues to see this much playing time and I'm probably not comfortable starting acres until we see another game or two, even just to see what happens. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think Kyron Williams should be the top waiver claim um, for this week in, in the majority of leagues. And luckily cam Akers bailed us out. Like for those of us that did start him with like a late touchdown in the fourth quarter, but that's basically like your last chance to really start him um, because you, you don't want to use him now at this point in, until we see that usage improve. And hopefully it does um, because he, you know, was the one that we drafted. But, you know, it, it, we we can pivot in season and, and we could pivot here to Kyron Williams. Cam Akers too, just 1.3 yards per carry as well. So he was relatively ineffective um, against the Seattle defense. So didn't like to see that. Um, things I did like to see, the... Rams receivers, despite not having Cooper Cup, um, we had Puka Nakua out there doing his best Cooper Cup impersonation, who ran 90% of the routes. He had 15 targets in this game, a 42.9% target rate. I know he had the two drops, but I mean, you got to have the targets to get the drops. So that was at least positive for him and him and Tutu Atwell both um, put up put up 119 yards. So uh how are you feeling about the Rams uh, wide receiver core after this game? I'm feeling pretty good. If Williams isn't the top waiver wire target, it's probably because Puka Nakua is, you don't see rookie wide receivers get 15 targets in week one ever. So seeing a rookie wide receiver do that in his first game, like I'm not sure I'm comfortable starting him next week, but it's definitely a great start for him. And even, Atwell also reaching over 100 receiving yards on eight targets. Like, it wasn't surprising to me to see Atwell and Nikua see uh, this high percentage of offensive snaps and this high percentage of route runs. They were clearly among the top three healthy wide receivers based on preseason usage. And the Rams like having a clear top three and not rotating players in and out of tons. So it wasn't surprising to me to see both of these guys get this much playing time. But for them to dominate targets the way that they did, like 
Tyler Higbee is another tight end that we expected to be one of the top tight ends this week because um, how many players were injured? It was like day after day, Higby just moved a spot up my rankings and a spot up my rankings, but it wasn't worth moving him up that high because it was the wide receiver seeing all the targets instead of Higby as well as Van Jefferson, who we expected to be the top receiver. So I'm not sure I'd trust Nakua and Atwell long-term once Cooper Cup is healthy, but we also don't know when Cup is going to be healthy again. All we know is that He's on injury reserve and will miss at least the next three games. So that doesn't necessarily mean Cup will be healthy by the time he's back. The Rams have been um, not all that transparent about what exactly is going on with his injury. And that might be because they don't know exactly what's going on either. So um, both of these wide receivers, I'd also be interested in picking up at well, just because he had such a good yards per route run last year and to do as well as he did in this game. Um, if it wasn't for Nakua doing as well as he did, Atwell would probably be someone that a lot of people would be talking about right now. So both of these guys, like it's weird to say, but I'm probably having three Rams in the top 10 or so of my waiver wire targets of the week. Yeah, I, I can't blame you. I mean, this is like pretty encouraging usage here and and, and the target rates, everything that we're looking at here for Nakua and, and and Atwell. I mean, even Atwell, like he was the clear deep target as well. 37.5% of his targets um, were 20 plus yards downfield. So Stafford looking for him on those big plays, but man, I, I'm I'm for trusting Puka Nakua. I, 15 targets. It's hard to ignore that, right? Especially for next week. Luckily, like there was a couple deeper leagues where I did have him in my starting lineup, but was not expecting anywhere close to this, obviously. So um, like you said, we, we should at least get maybe three more weeks of this potential use out of these guys um, until we know what's going on with Cooper Cup, if he's going to get back in the lineup or not. But really, really strong stuff here from um, the Rams receiver core, which I... I wasn't fully expecting um, coming into this week. Um, how about anything for the Seahawks? I mean, Geno Smith and, and company outside of that one touchdown to DK Metcalf early in the game, they just, they couldn't get anything going. I, I don't know if there's that much encouraging stuff to look at here. I'm surprised because this Rams defense is not exactly, you know, full of superstars at this point outside of Aaron Donald. So um, any concerns for, for the Seahawks offense or just looking at the usage here, what what did you see? Uh, yeah, a little bit concerned about how they didn't play all that well. Um, it was interesting to see all the running backs together, finally having Walker and Dallas and uh, Charbonnet all playing together. Um, the split was basically what I'd expect DJ Dallas playing the two-minute drill, decent amount of third downs. It was good to see Walker and Charbonnet get at least some third down work. So I, ideally it becomes a two-man backfield at some point in the future, but it's going to be like Walker did play well in this game. And I think if Seattle's offense was playing better in general, we would see Walker have a pretty good stat line. And then uh, Charbonnet, someone that you probably just want to keep on your roster, just not starting him. Um, looking at the tight ends, this remains a three-man rotation, similar to Indianapolis. They have talented players. It's just if they're going to rotate these guys this much, you can't trust them. Fant only played uh, 14 of 29 pass plays, so that's not even 50%. So... Uh, don't want anything to do with the Seahawks tight ends. And then uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba basically did what we expected in that he played almost all the time when they were in 11 personnel, didn't take a single snap in any other personnel grouping. So it's going to be hard to trust him until he starts 
at least being a backup in 12 personnel. But uh, he caught three passes for 13 yards, which wasn't all that great. So um, expect better things out of Smith Nijigba in general, but probably not starting him until you start seeing more playing time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and yeah, the, the tight end specifically, I, I had hoped for maybe potentially Noah Fant to do something this year, but after seeing the usage, we are uh, pretty much completely out on <laughs> any of the Seattle tight ends as well. So um, I think we got one more game from the, the four o'clock group here. So the Las Vegas Raiders at the Denver Broncos, pretty much a game that I did not see all that much of. So what do we have from the usage here for the, for the, for the Raiders and the Broncos? Uh, the Broncos, the big thing is that Marvin Mims did not end up starting like we expected. It was Brandon Johnson, who was the outside receiver outside of Cortland Sutton. We saw Johnson see roughly twice as many snaps as Mims, roughly twice as many route runs with little Jordan Humphrey playing in the spot. Like I expected so um, it was a bit concerning that that happened with Mims. Uh, at tight end, we saw Greg Dolchitz um, suffer an injury, which wasn't great. Uh, missed the second half of the game with a leg injury. Uh, before that point, we were seeing him play a little bit more on early downs than we were seeing in the preseason. But he was also getting taken off the field a little bit more on third downs. So still pretty concerning usage in the first half of the game before his injury even. So assuming he is healthy i still probably don't want too much to do with him and then the broncos backfield exactly kind of what we saw in that one preseason game where they were both playing we saw williams as the early down back we saw p ryan as the third down back williams led the team and carries p ryan led the backfield and rots run um i'm guessing we'll see a lot of this kind of thing going forward on the broncos backfield unless they get to a point where they feel Williams is fully healthy and ready for a bigger workload. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I think, it, I think we should expect um, Javante Williams to kind of be eased in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, good to see that he's at least out there. And I, I think his workload will, will potentially increase as the weeks go on. But yeah, with the Dolchich injury, I don't know. Have we looked at all if it, cleared things up at least for Adam Troutman um, what his usage looked like after Dolchich went out or was it fairly similar um, rotation with with him um I think we probably saw a little bit more Troutman uh, Chris Manhurts was the clear third tight end in this game so probably the biggest positive thing for Dolchich was Manhurts wasn't cutting into that playing time too much but we saw started to see Manhurts at least play in those two tight end sets but I think Troutman was basically the clear tight end once Dolchich was out. Uh, Troutman led the te- or was tied for the team lead in targets with five. So um, Troutman's still probably not someone I'd want to pick up even if Dolchich is missing significant playing time, but it's at least possible we see Troutman as a fantasy starter if that does happen. Okay, good to know. Um, all right, so... The Raiders, we didn't get the best game out of Josh Jacobs, um, but again, it you know at least handled pretty much all of the carries um, for for yep. the running backs there, right? Nineteen to one uh, in favor of Jacobs over Zamir White. Jimmy Garoppolo added three, uh, nine carries as or nine rushes at least for for himself. But uh, I think probably one of the more um, positive notes out of the Raiders camp is that Jacoby Myers was, was heavily utilized. I know he got hit pretty hard um, in this game. I, I, I 
definitely feels like a concussion there. I don't know if he'll be able to play next week, but he was heavily involved um, for, for the Raiders offense. Oh yeah. The interesting thing there is he was typically a slot receiver with the Patriots was playing almost exclusively on the outside in this game. Uh, Hunter Renfro was the primary slot receiver, even though he really didn't see that much playing time. It was kind of a rotation for that wide receiver three spot, which isn't great for Renfro, but even Devontae Adams was playing more in the slot than Myers was. So um, I think it's at least interesting to see him in that usage, even though I think it could be just fine for him to play this much on the outside. Um, for me, the biggest thing was probably more so at tight end where we saw Austin Hooper and Michael Meyer continue to split the tight end usage. Uh, Hooper more in 11 personnel, Michael more in 21 personnel, almost never in 12 uh, personnel with both of them on the field. It was either um, having the fullback on the field or just having the three wide receiver sets. Um, neither tight end really played more than half of the passing down snaps and they combined for one target. So even like typically I'm fine with having a rookie player and saying, okay, they didn't see that much playing time right now. That could grow as the season progresses. I could see him seeing a little bit more playing time as it progresses, but it feels like the main thing that they want him to be is a run blocker right now. And that's an important part of their offense. So I'm not sure we really see him grow as the receiver that we would hope him to be at any point this season. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Okay, let's go to the last game of today, and that is Sunday Night Football, where the Dallas Cowboys absolutely manhandled the New York Giants. This was another one that that I touched on in the O-line, D-line matchup article because the Cowboys' defensive line is legit. The Giants' offensive line, not so much. So we were trying to stay away from Daniel Jones here. That turned out to be a good play for anybody that listened to that advice because he was under pressure consistently, constantly. Just it, they could not do anything in this game. So, as far as usage goes for the Cowboys and the Giants, anything that you think we could take away from this game, even though it was a complete blowout, so it may have skewed things one way or the other. Yeah, a lot of my notes were more ignore what happened in this game. We saw Tony Pollard uh, see a pretty clear majority of snaps in the first quarter. He was the only running back to see the field in the first quarter then just slowly but surely as the game progressed they started taking him off the field more and more often uh barely played in the fourth quarter when we saw deuce Vaughn finally get to see some snaps but Vaughn wasn't really playing at any point earlier than that so uh pollard scored two touchdowns it was great to see him get those goal line touches after seeing ezekiel elliott consistently take those touches last season so Good to see Pollard score those touchdowns. So I think he is well on his way to being the top five fantasy running back that we expect him to be. So that was the big thing for Dallas. Um, I was also concerned about Jake Ferguson, though. Um, He did see a decent number of targets, got six targets, which was the most for Dallas. But Peyton Hendershot was seeing significant work in 11 personnel. Uh, Typically, when Hendershot was on the field in 11 personnel, they were passing the ball. So Ferguson was only running a route on 13 of the Cowboys' 24 passing plays. Um, This is something that I probably expect to continue just because Hendershot was the receiving tight end out of the two last season. So I think Hendershot will continue to be involved. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker did see some playing time as a third tight end. It was almost all in run-blocking situations, but after the draft capital they spent on him, 
I would also expect his playing time to increase as the season progresses. So I know Ferguson, someone that a lot of people liked as a sleeper tight end and the six targets definitely in itself is promising, but a little concerned about how much playing time he's going to see going forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it looks like a 43% target rate uh, on his snaps that, that he played uh, in this game. So at pretty strong numbers, obviously, but like you said, the, the overall, routes run and 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 usage maybe a little bit misleading for for him as far as those targets go so we could expect some regression there if that um if that uh, usage continues to be the same there with Peyton Hendershot um in the mix so that's the Cowboys how about the the New York Giants I mean obviously the offense was a complete disaster this week but anything to take away from from New York uh, the biggest thing is don't worry too much about Darren Waller's usage in this game. Uh, only ran around on 23 of the 44 pass plays, but it was a case where he was injured before the game, so we knew he was questionable. Um, they used him for the vast majority of plays in the first half. Then once the second half hit and they were losing by three, four scores, they decided it wasn't worth it to continue having him on the field playing injured so he only played i think four snaps over the course of the entire second half so not worried about him he still ended up leading the team in targets and receiving yards despite barely playing in the second half which probably says more about how the giants offense did more than anything but i wouldn't be too concerned about waller and then i just note the giants wide receivers did exactly what we expected in terms of how they were used uh, darius slayton Isaiah Hodgins were the outside receivers. Paris Campbell played in the slot. Jalen Hyatt, Sterling Shepard were the backup receivers. Um, probably got more playing time because they mixed in more in the fourth quarter. Uh, so the snap counts even there are prob- probably a little bit misleading. I think Isaiah Hodgins in particular uh, stopped playing earlier than the other wide receivers. But um, wide receivers were what I expected them to be in terms of playing time at least. Awesome. Well, Nate? We made it through the entire uh, week one slate here. We skipped Thursday night football. We'll skip Monday night football, at least until Tuesday. Um, so I can't thank you enough for for going through all this data with me. Um, I can't thank everybody enough for for tuning in and, and listening. Um, don't forget to, to like and subscribe to the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel if you're following along. But again, Nate, we made it through the first week. We're ready to roll through again uh, in a few hours shortly. But um, Thank, thank you very much. And and what do you got going up for for on PFF.com this week? Of course. So we have the recap that we just went through, but there are definitely plenty of tidbits that we did not get to in this. So even after you listen to everything, there are notes that I have in that article that you probably missed. I also summarized the top 10 uh, recap that'll be going up that could already be up for all I know, but if not, it'll be up by the morning. Uh, we'll also be having a waiver wire piece that will go up sometime uh, Monday morning as well. I uh, will have the Monday night football recap after Monday night. Uh, Tuesday, it'll be five to start, five, or not five to start, five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high. Um, we'll have rest of season rankings on Tuesday as well. And then it'll start just getting to the rest of the week, start set rankings, those kind of things, middle of the week and later in the week. Beautiful. Looking forward to that. And yeah, we'll be back on uh, Tuesday with a waiver wire show. I'm pretty sure we're recording that one earlier on Tuesday so we yep. can get that out before people submit their waiver wire claims. Um, but again, thank you everybody uh, for listening. 
Big thank you to the PFF data collection team as well for another big weekend of uh, PFF data to bring to you all so that we can help you win your fantasy leagues and get you all the best information out there. So huge shout out to those guys as well. Um, Again, thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you on Tuesday for waiver wire. So peace out.